Hi, I'm Jeremy Gibbon and I'm a human at JGF. Welcome to the Humans of JGF, a JGF holiday special highlighting brilliant minds behind our vision. And today we are in Cape Town, Ekaba, and we will be having a chat with our team from this year region. And what a way to start. I mean, I can't imagine another way to start than not to start with our program director jeremy gibbon good morning 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 Mutaba. what a pleasure to be here how are you yes uh good good it's a beautiful day in cape town and uh looking forward to this conversation so i'm looking through my questions and i'm just like oh no i'm not just interviewing a team member today i'm interviewing one of the founding members of what we understand as jake's Haval fellowship before we get to the meat of your history uh in the organization do tell us where are you from very loaded question for many people in this here country but do do tell oh, us oh dear where am i from where am i from um so I was born and grew up about 10 minutes down the road, I guess. <laughs> I was born in the Mowbray Maternity Hospital and mm. uh, kind of uh, grew up in the Pinelands area, was schooled in, at Westerford in, in Newlands, um, attended UCT. So a lot of my early years and my growing up years were right here in Cape Town. Yeah. Um, so just down the road. Oh, yeah. lovely stuff. Lovely yeah. stuff. So... Program director, mm. at face value, people can make the assumptions of what it is that you do. Do you give us a glimpse mm. of what it is you actually do? <laughs> what does this job entail? It's, so, it's such a good question. I, oh dear, uh, and I don't know. I, I don't have a terribly good answer to it. Uh, I, I have a job description that I could pull out somewhere that uh, it tells me what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. What I actually end up doing is doesn't always align. Terribly well. You, you know, when we, I'm not a big one for job titles, I have to confess. Mm, I, mm, I kind of feel like uh, we know what we have to do and we need to get on and do it. Yeah. Obviously, the bigger we get uh, and the more people are involved, uh, the more we need to uh, be clear. But uh, I love those, that kind of early stage development. Uh, when Julian and I were doing some of the very early work, uh, we had quite a lot of discussions about role. And, yeah. uh, and at that point, you know, the particular job titles didn't really mean a lot. We, we just had work to do and Colin uh, um, and Paul came on as, as the first uh, program officers. And, you know, the four of us really just kind of looked at the, the job that needed to be done and just kind of divvied it up. And, and so, I mean, I guess a uh, <laughs> kind of high-level program direct director looks uh, after the programs and, yes. and in particularly kind of strategically how the programs are put together, how they're delivered, how they're assessed. I think, uh, and I love that. I love that process of developing program. I found it really creative to try and uh, look at what other organizations were doing. Alango Orbis Foundation were a big partner in the early days and we learned a huge amount from them. Mm. And so we'd often model on what they were doing, on what we had experienced, what I had experienced and, and thought was relevant, and, and then bringing those bits together, and then slowly bringing in, in kind of additional experts to add you know, richness and, and fullness and value to, to the program. 
Um, nowadays, what I do, um, <laughs> I I keep a, a, a light kind of uh, touch on on the, the the overall program. But we've got such experts and such great teams leading at different parts that 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 part of the job is 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 not, is not a big part. So, really, we spend a lot of more time thinking strategically about how best to influence, how to connect, uh, collaborating with other groups. Really starting to look at the theory of change and how we start to amplify impact. Mm. And, and that requires um, collaboration with other groups, understanding who's working in the space. So I'm finding myself being drawn more into, into the strategic side of things, which, which I love and enjoy, and yeah. uh, look at future developments. What are the kind of programs we can develop from here? Oh, lovely, lovely. As a teaching fellowship, it would be mm. remiss of us not to teleport ourselves to our individual classroom experiences. And I will pose you mm. this, Jeremy. Take us to your earliest memory oh, of wow. being a young Jeremy at school. Oof, earliest memory. Oh. I think as I get older, my earlier memories fade more and more. <laughs> I uh, I guess my earliest memory is kind of a very playful preschool kind of memory, uh, kind of mud and dust and, and plastic motorbikes and, you know, things like that. Mm. Um, I guess my uh, kind of earliest formal memory is is learning to read, funnily enough, in, in what was standard one. Um, uh, no, sorry, sorry, sub A, gr a grade yes. one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so kind of sitting on the mat with a particular teacher with little flashcards and, and that kind of memory. Not wildly excited about school, I have to confess. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my best memories are, I suppose, out on the sports field, playing at break, playing sport after school. That was very much where I found my, my space and my happiness, the kind of physical engagement and fun with each other. Um, yeah, and, uh, and I guess the social side of it. I think the academic side of schooling came relatively easily to me for, for what it was worth and, yeah. uh, you know, in the nature that it, uh, we were engaging with it. So it wasn't a big part of my kind of thinking and development. Um, that only came on much later when I started to really get into particular subject disciplines that I felt engaging. Do you yeah. remember the books that you were engaging um, oh no, man! You mean in those early days? Yeah, I, oh. I still remember Kathy and Mark. Oh dear, front yeah. To no, I, I, I don't. I, I remember that they were terribly boring and simplistic <laughs> stories. I mean that, uh, which was entirely appropriate at the stage. And I yeah. don't want to pretend I was some kind of magnificent reader. I, I wasn't. But I remember thinking at the time, man, there's not much going on. You know, it was. <laughs> Wait, give me off. Give me, give me development. Uh, I don't know. It was like, you know, one or two characters and possibly a dog and a mat and they sat on the mat with the cat. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> surely there must be something more yet. <laughs> Which, of course, we got to in time. But, uh, yes. yeah, yes. No, not a lot to start with. <laughs> you have memories of being in the sports field and you are rather active now as well. If there's anyone mm. who's consistent with mm. being on the bike. Um, so at the office, we have a thing called called um, weekly priorities three professional priorities and a personal one nine wow. times out of ten jeremy is on some ride three times a week <laughs> yeah. walk na, 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 na. more riding than walking yeah. um so at school what kind of sports mm. did you take to yeah i i i was 
I was good at sport. I could uh, catch a ball and throw a ball and kick a ball and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. So uh, it was a space where I excelled and found acceptance. It was mm. a great place to uh, uh, to meet people and get to know people. And so I really enjoyed that that part of it. And I was good enough to be in A-teams and whatever. So, so there was, uh, you know, uh, positive reinforcement for for who I was and what I was doing. So it was traditional sports, uh, rugby, cricket, um, I played a little bit of tennis, um, yeah. stuff like that. I could run quite fast and I could jump, so I, you know, some athletics. Um, but it was actually only when I left school and at university started playing volleyball that I really oh. kind of found a, a sport that I, I, I was really good at. I, I could really jump and for whatever reason, I, I managed to be able to play volleyball quite well. So I played indoor, <coughs> And um, and beach volleyball mm. and uh, uh, and loved it. I you know I had a number of years playing on. We it was just the time that we were starting a beach circuit here in in South Africa. So there was a little bit of well the first the, the first tournament we played. You won a pair of shorts. That that was the first prize. <laughs> and then I, with year, some years, some sponsors came in, and then you know it became reasonably lucrative, and mm. you could you could earn enough money to have a pretty good summer holiday and a little bit spare for the rest of the year. So mm. volleyball is great. Um, yeah, you know, physical degradation as you get older. My, I blew my knee out quite early on playing oh rugby, so, so I've had dodgy knees for a while. So trying to find sports that are uh, good with that. Um, yeah. You know, I I really got into snow sports when I was overseas in the mm. UK and and so skiing and snowboarding are probably my my passions um but uh on a regular basis uh uh, uh mountain bike riding and uh I uh, so I'm up on the mountain three or four times a, we a know week, that too which is well. great, we know that too <laughs> which is well. lovely. So um, describe to us what kind of learner were you in high mm. school? I was a very boring compliant learner. I, I oh, really yeah? was. <laughs> yeah, I, Is compliant I, a euphemistic way of saying oh. you were teacher's pet as well? You know, I I don't think I cared enough to actually be a teacher's pet, oh, but goodness. I I I I quite liked uh um kind of decoding what was needed to be successful that's a bit mm. dramatic i think yeah, but you know i can put that lens on it now at the time you know i like getting good marks i like doing well and actually i realized quite quickly that doing well at school is not it it, it relies on a few kind of quite basic things you, you know you have to have a basic understanding you have to make sure that you know what the outcomes are that are required and you need to understand assessments and for mm. whatever bizarre set of reasons I could just work out generally, you know, what was needed. Yeah. And I was able to do that. So I got pretty good marks and I got on well with uh, teachers. I I wasn't a great student. You know, I don't think I really got into the depths of learning until I got to university and, and probably even post-university into my teacher qualifications and started really thinking about teaching and learning. That's mm. that's probably the point at which I... I most deeply got into into real proper uh, learning and academic studies. So, um, you know, my teachers would, would tell me I'm a good student and I would generally get good marks, um, except history. History was that my bugbear. And I, I loved history. I, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it and I found it stimulating. Yeah. I just could not crack how to write 
essays yeah. in a way that would get me an A. So I never quite managed to get an A for history. And uh, I wasn't great at languages either. Afrikaans was always a, a tough one for me. But yeah. uh, anyway, so that, yeah, <laughs> I was a good student. I kind of got along and, you know, worked out how, the, how it all worked. Um, yeah, mm, so it was, mm. it was okay. And who mm. was your favorite teacher? Yeah, you know, that's obviously a question we've kind of come to ask a lot at uh, uh, at JGF. So, so it's caused me to think quite a lot about a variety of different teachers. And, uh, you know, favorite doesn't always mean best. Yes. Um, you know, I had I had a great science teacher, John Broster. I'm still in contact with John. And he was very influential in my life and, and probably played quite a big role in me becoming a teacher and the way in which I ended up teaching uh, uh, science probably you know was was significantly impacted by him so so he's a in a sense an obvious choice I had a great English and history teacher James Bissard who was really challenging and made me think um, you know beyond the comfort zone mm. um, I hadn't I had a grade nine uh, English teacher, Claudia Regnart, who went on to, uh, to write textbooks and, and was one of those really challenging teachers. You know, she, she made us do things and think in ways that we hadn't before. I had a doyen of a math teacher, Shirley Fitton, who wrote all the textbooks at the time. And, mm. and you know, she was just a legendary math teacher. And, and at the time, I don't think we appreciated how good she was. And in retrospect, we we're like, man, Shoot. she was really, really good. So I was blessed to have a, a range of really good teachers. Yeah. Um, and uh, some were favorites, enjoyed it at the moment. Some in, in retrospect, I don't, you know, I did woodwork as a subject. Yeah. And... Uh, in those days, um, it was uh, you had higher grade and standard grade subjects, and if you did more higher grade subjects, then you had a, a, a advantage with your overall aggregates, and that was a big thing. And woodwork was only offered at standard grade, so it was quite a big deal for <coughs> someone who was quite academic to take woodwork. But I just loved it. It gave me a, a, a different mode of operating and thinking and being during the school day. Yeah. And uh, my teacher, Alistair Mather, was. It was a very strict teacher. I mean, like, you know, and you had to be uh, in, at, at that time. But uh, a, a brilliant teacher. And I just uh, I remember probably 10 years later bumping into him and just saying, you know, thank you for what you did. You were an amazing teacher. Mm. I didn't appreciate it at the time. But in retrospect, I can just, uh, you know, you gave me a love for a subject and a way of thinking about a subject that, uh, uh, that was deep. So, yeah, a lot of good teachers um, in my life. So we often hear about the founding uh, members of, mm. of, of JGF mm. and we being the internal <coughs> team and we think of these people as the supreme four, really Ooh. the founding <laughs> members. <laughs> <Don't know about laughs> <that. laughs> so I just want to know though yeah. the story <coughs> behind mm. the formation of JGF. Was yeah. there a call? Hey, Jeremy mm. would love mm. for you to do ABCD. And what were you doing at the time when yeah. you got the call? Yeah. Uh, so take us through that. Sure. So I was I was principal of Pinelands High School, and uh, I had been there for five years. Um, and uh, it, it being principal is a tough job, mm. <laughs> a very tough job. And I'd been uh, I'd been at it for a while, and and I was sensing I needed something different, either to move to a new school, a new opportunity, and. Uh, 
my wife had been working part-time. We had young kids, three young kids, and uh, she had an opportunity to move uh, full-time with a particular uh, fintech company she was working with. Mm. And uh, it felt like a good time for me to move out of, you know, very formalized, organizationally-based work to something more flexible. Mm. And I'd always wanted to study further. I've I've got this love-hate relationship with academic study. I love it as I start. And then it becomes too theoretical for me and I get antsy. Then I need to get back into the classroom or into contact with people. And so it kind of comes and goes. And I'd done my master's and really enjoyed it. And and I'd always thought I wanted to do a PhD. So I I, uh, stopped at Pinans and and, uh, started a PhD. Um, But there were some difficulties with my supervisor and the timing and and things like that. So I actually, uh, I started a small consultancy to just, you know, get some regular work in and uh, bring in some income while I did some field work for my PhD and uh, my... Curious. Yes. PhD, what was your research topic? Yeah. So my research was around um, <laughs> online learning, which which oh, wow. <laughs> at that time was quite sexy and vogue. <laughs> and oh, nowadays it's sick. like, oh, whatever. Super edgy. <laughs> well, yeah, at a little time. while ago. So I'd started using some flipped classroom uh, techniques. We'd, we were using some learning management system uh, materials. And I was particularly interested in the, in, in the changing role of the teacher as technology becomes more and more part yeah. of um, of of the classroom life and uh, and so it was around the agency of a teacher in particularly flipped classroom mm. and I was particularly interested in the nature of the um, uh, of the materials the online the digital assets that students were using my my contention then and remains now is that generally they're quite poor and low quality mm. and the focus tends to be on the administration of online learning and the access rather than the quality and so when I looked at much of what students were engaging with it was terrible it was boring it was awful it was just text behind screen or narrated powerpoints and I thought no we we must do better than this you know at the time there was a lot of talk about the MTV generation Um, students were engaging with high quality online material and then when they came to school they were expected just to you know engage with boring materials and I was like no that's not good enough so that was what I set out to do. I developed some of my own materials. I thought they were pretty good and edgy. <laughs> In retrospect, I'm not sure that they were. Um, and I wanted to test them. I linked with some schools and I was doing some field testing. So that that's kind of how it started. Mm. And um, I then linked up with a media company uh, who were who doing really cool online uh, uh, material. Mm. Um, they were doing online magazines and video content. And uh, they were doing a lot of the content for the big sports brands, uh, the Stormers, the Springbok rugby team, uh, SA Netball, football, all of those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. And when I looked at their materials, like, man, I want organic chemistry to look like that. You know, I want my rates of reaction module to look like that. So I partnered with them to develop their LMS. And we did some really cool work together for for a while. And I was doing some other consulting. And... um, Anthony Farr, who was at the time CEO of Alan Gray Orbis uh, Foundation, was a friend of mine. And mm. we, we had been engaging around education. And while he was working in the foundation and Julian was, was part of the work that was going on there, they were looking for ways for the endowment to get involved in education. And yes. they'd gone through a number of different thoughts. And one of those thoughts was was kind of online education, digital assets, etc. So we'd had a number of conversations about that. 
And then as the endowment moved more towards uh, replicating the pipeline of talent approach that the foundation was using and looking at uh, um, pointing that in an education space, mm. um, Anton, the endowment, asked if I would come on board just to do some initial scoping work, um, some stakeholder mapping, and pull together a business plan. Um, and at that point, Julian and I started working together and uh, – he had the experience of the model that the foundation had used in terms yes. of, of talent development through this pipeline model. And mm. I had the educational background. And together, we, we slowly crafted the business plan of, of you know, what JGF would be. Yeah. Um, and then eventually presented that to the board of trustees uh, for the endowment. And they thankfully passed it and then invited the two of us to start it. Um, and... By that stage, the uh, the PhD had kind of been pushed out <laughs> to the side because this other work was just so exciting. Mm. Um, and so that's how it all kind of kicked off. Oh, lovely, yeah. lovely. And now we're going to talk about the various faces and phases mm. um, of your trajectory. Because mm. we just meet you now as Jeremy, sure. program director. <laughs> but before Jeremy was even principal, mm. you were an aspiring teacher. Mm. And what inspired mm. you to be a teacher? Yeah, it's a good question. We were joking earlier that uh, I come from a family of teachers, and, and many people do. You, you know, it's not mm. an un, uh, unknown phenomenon. And uh, so my father was a, a teacher and a, and a principal and a very well-known principal and very well-respected um, principal. And uh, they're, they're, I'm a, a one of four in our family. <clears throat> and uh, my two older siblings uh, both became teachers. And so mm. by the time it got to me, you know, my parents – there really was no pressure to become a teacher. If anything, it was like, yeah, can, how about something else? Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. possibly, you know, how about something like medicine was a you know, trendy thing. I had good marks. I, I suspect I possibly at that time could have got into medicine. Um, and, uh, you know, as hard as I tried, nothing else really kind of fitted. So mm. I, I did a general BSc in, in maths and chemistry and physics at, uh, at for my undergrad. So it kind of left things open. But... Uh, I, I don't know. It, it was in my blood. I, I, I just, I loved being around teenagers. I loved the energy. I loved being involved in teaching learning environments. Um, I had a general kind of knack of working with uh, that age uh, of students. I, I got on well with them. I was able to engage um, and just felt drawn into that that space so i did the equivalent of a pgce it was an hde at the time and uh and then got into my first job and just loved it just yeah. absolutely loved it it uh it touched all the things that i i felt passionate about and that brought me life and uh, felt like was able to make contribution there was deep meaning in the work that i was doing so you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, you know, teaching such a difficult career and such a this career. And, and I'm not by any way underplaying those aspects. It is. It's really hard. It's really difficult. It's really challenging. And you don't make a huge amount of money. But, man, on the other side, it is deeply, deeply enjoyable, rewarding, meaningful Um in a way that, you know, I, I think in retrospect, I possibly took for granted yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um but, uh, you know, with time realized you, you, you're working hard day in, day out with people, with a team dedicated towards the growth of people. 
in a way that has deep meaning in mm. many circumstances. So, yeah, that's how I got into it. And uh, I think if I had it all again, I besides becoming a ski instructor, which I think in a parallel life I would love to be, <laughs> but uh, that probably wouldn't have had the meaning. I, I think I'd just do it all again, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Can you recall your first encounter, first experience of working with, with young people that mm. really just shifted your perspective mm. um, around purpose and meaning for you? I, I don't think that there was a specific moment. You mm. know, I'd, I'd grown up, uh, I, I, I grew up in the church that had a very active kind of youth ministry. And yeah. so from quite an early age, I was involved in a variety of different kind of youth leadership type activities, which put me in a position of, of leading and working with young people. And through university, that continued. Uh, you know, I tutored, I, I coached, I did all those kind of things. And so... It wasn't necessarily a single moment. It, it was a place that I felt comfortable, that I felt uh, uh, engaged. It felt like a meaningful place. Um, possibly the kind of first year of teaching was more a reality check. It's like, wow, this is actually hard. <laughs> you know, this is not just I'll oh, get on with a group of young people and and teach them something along the way. You know, there was a, there was a lot to think about and reflect on classroom management, uh, dealing with young people, understanding boundaries. Um, uh, motivating and rewarding, all those kind of issues, uh, yeah, were hard. Mm. So not a single moment. I think just kind of a growing acceptance that this was the place where I was, I was going to work. I'm so excited to ask the next question because your lens in particular I would find very interesting. So this question is, uh, what surprises you the most about working at JGF? Mm. Now, you were part of the founding members. When you step yeah. back and you see this team that mm. you've played a part in curating, mm. the kind of quality of human beings first, yeah. their expertise, uh, just looking at the kind of people who mm. have mm. lent their voices yeah. and experiences here, what sticks out the most? Yeah. Possibly the biggest initial thing is that I'm constantly amazed we get paid to do the work we do. I just, I just love the work we do. I'm, you know, so much of, of what we get to do, I've always wanted to do in previous jobs and roles and, and existences, but there was, there's never any money to do it. So yeah. you kind of bootstrapped it and you did a little bit on the side and you did it over the weekends for free or for, you know, minimal and so to, <clears throat> to be working in an organization where there are resources to do the incredible work of identifying future teachers and leaders and nurturing them, I'm just blown away. Yeah. I, 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 I hope those higher up don't hear this, but I mean, I, I possibly would do this work for free. I, yeah. You know, it's just like, it's incredible to be involved in that space. So that's one thing. And, and many friends and colleagues who are working in more formal education and systems, schools, universities, teacher training colleges, et cetera, et cetera, you know, are amazed that we get to do the stuff we do mm. on a regular basis. So that's at a high level. At a team level, I, I, I'm not amazed. I am I, I, I celebrate and delight in the diversity of the team mm -hmm. and the diversity of the uh, uh, background experiences, cultures, language, uh, uh, lived experience, and how rich 
that is in bringing together the work that we do. Yeah. And I think through my career, I have increasingly... I've always had a theoretical appreciation of the joy and the richness of diversity, mm. but I don't think I've ever had such a full experience of that as we currently have at, at JGF. Just across every metric that you can possibly think of and the way in which that brings depth to the nuance of what we do, mm. you know. Um, many colleagues comment on how deeply we think about what we do and we think regularly and a lot. <laughs> And if we don't think and we just do something afterwards, we're like, hmm, let's just, you know, there's a lot of reflecting. Why do we do something? How do we do it better? How are we, how can we be more inclusive? How can we be more targeted? And having such a rich, diverse team really gives, it takes that to a different dimension, mm. you know. And a lot of people who look in from the outside at what we do are like, wow, you know, you're, you're really thoughtful. You, you, you know, why do you do that? And, and the answer to why is, is a long answer. You, you know, there's a lot to say. We, and I guess that I hadn't anticipated that when we started. Um, and, uh, uh, but very quickly realized, wow, this is, this is going to be a, a rich experience working with such a diverse range of people. Um, so that, that's probably the hallmark, I think, from my side. I, yeah. You know, I tell other people what we do and what, you know, the kinds of discussions we have. And they just, uh, you know, most of my friends and colleagues are just amazed at the richness and the depth and the diversity of, of what we're able to do. And, and yeah. so that, that for me is a, is, is a big hallmark. Yeah. We often say, well... We, I mean me, to be honest. <laughs> often say that. You go right ahead. CFs <laughs> are our North Star. Um, they are the reason why we do the kind of work that we do, obviously. Mm. And what about our CFs, in your view, Jeremy, mm. reassures you that South African mm. classrooms mm. are in safe hands? Mm. It's a hard and provocative question because I don't think that our classrooms are in safe hands at the moment. Mm. I really don't. I, I think, and that's not through the fault of those people who are there. It's through the fault of a much broader system. Yeah. If I didn't live a privileged existence with access to, you know, the upper end of our education system, mm. I would be... I don't know. I would be distraught. I'd be terrified. I would start my own school. I would, you know, whatever it would be, because generally our kids are not at the moment. And which is why we do the work we do. Yeah. And there, there are complex reasons for that. And by and large, it's not the fault of the people there. It's the fault of the system that has ended up with the particular structure and the way in which our classrooms and our education system are, are set up. And, and that's, there's a whole conversation to be had there. Our focus is more often on, well, what's, you know, what's the solution to many of these problems? And yeah. they, the, the solutions come at multiple, uh, uh, in, in multiple ways. And one of the biggest ones is who's the person that's, that's leading the, the learning in that classroom, mm. the teacher, and how well equipped are they? And, um, and so that's why, you know, the, we, we, we spend the money we do and do the work that we do. And I believe passionately that teachers are the units of change in our, in our education system. Yeah. And 
we managed to attract, select, identify, and nurture the most incredible teachers. I mean, the, the, it's extraordinary. <laughs> and Honestly. every time I see them, I mean, w w we didn't start JJF for this reason, but my son is being taught by two JJF fellows Goodness at the moment. And me. I listen to what he says. And, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be like that because, you know, they've lots of really good teachers. But th these two are amazing teachers. And I, I, I listen to them. I get feedback from them. I'm now a parent watching my child. And that's, you know, that's really what I want for every parent and their child right across this country. Yeah. You know, to be able to listen to the stories that come back from school through the eyes of their ch children and think, wow, that. That's cool. That that's amazing. What a great learning, or or whatever it might be. So, I think you know to get back to your question. The the fellows that the, the, that we managed to bring onto this program, and we have the joy and privilege of walking alongside are incredible young people, yeah. and they'll be amazing teachers. And I have no doubt that they'll go on to make incredible impact. But they're 60 a year. And our theory of change doesn't rest on having a large number of teachers. It rests on identifying innovators and leaders and change makers to bring about future change. Yeah. And so um, it's a challenging one, you know. Um, I believe in each one of those people. I have no doubt listening to, uh, to their stories um, – that they will innovate and lead change and that they will make things better. I wish we could do it quicker. I wish our theory of change rested on, you know, in the next couple of years, having amazing teachers across all, 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 all schools. Mm. Um, but, uh, but that's harder to do. So, yeah, tough question because there's, there's a lot in that that, uh, yeah, that isn't easy. Answered like a mm. true strategist. <laughs> <laughs> like a true strategist. Every angle oh, I'm <laughs> um, So now we are going to end our 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 conversation this morning. But before mm. we do, mm. Samora Menze is going to be recorded after you. What are some of the fondest memories with or of Sam that you'd love to oh, share my goodness. with us? Oh. Well, I mean, I, I, most people at JGF probably don't know the kind of backstory because uh, the, the, the teacher that I mentioned, one of my favorite teachers, John Broster, yeah. um, Sam had been teaching uh, at, a, at a particular school and, uh, and John got hold of me and said, listen, and, and John had been, had been mentoring Sam for, uh, you know, for a number of years. Mm. And um, John phoned me up and said, listen, uh, you know, I've, I've got this friend who's, who I'd love you to chat with. And mm -hmm. so I met Sam, I don't know how many years ago now, five, six, seven years ago, in a whole nother life. He was a teacher and the, you know, we chatted through a number of issues. We had quite a few things in common and we saw each other a couple of times. Um, I, I don't think there was any kind of detailed mentoring relationship, but you know, we were able to check in and bounce off. And I just, I remember when I met him for the first time, I think I, I just started working with JJF and I thought to myself, this is the kind of person I would love to have in JJF. And I may have mentioned it uh, to Sam and, um, but there, yeah, you know, we weren't hiring and, and this went on. I saw Sam one or two more times. Mm. And then, uh, um, 
And then a, a position became available and Sam applied. And there was at the time when we had a huge application. And he, I think there was only one po uh, one position. And, and Sam didn't get that particular position. And it was quite a hard discussion, you know. I yeah. got to know Sam and I told him about JGF and... Um, and he, he continued teaching in, in different environments and then uh, uh, we were hiring again and Sam applied again and then got the role and so I was just so excited you know I, I'd known I'd known Sam's background I knew what a great teacher he was I knew how well he engaged with with uh, um, uh, young people I knew what a great uh, kind of lived experience he came in with and yes. I just thought man Sam would just be so good with JGF and so when he came and and then you know got to work with him as a colleague and and really experience his love of life and his laugh yeah you know Sam's laugh is the thing I'm mm. that 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 kind of for me defines Sam I can hear it coming down the corridor when we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're in the office and uh, he just has that lovely smile and that deep laugh that uh, that just reflects the warmth and, and generosity of spirits and depth that he brings so I'm sure you're going to have a great conversation with him. He's he's got an incredible story to tell, and uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to it when these come out later on. And this is all embodied by candidate fellows referring to him as Uncle Sam. <laughs> Uncle Sam, yes. <laughs> so that Uncle really Sam, holds everything absolutely. together. <laughs> Jeremy Ngozi yeah. Kapoor, no. for your time today. Thank you so much for your willingness to share your mm. wealth and depth of experience. Um, it's not every day, as I'm speaking to you now, it's not every day that, and I'll use bureaucratic terms here, where uh, an employee gets to just have a conversation with a member of exec at, at a very chilled um, level, uh, for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, and just mm -hmm. hearing your experience mm -hmm. and also just feeling your passion. Sometimes mm -hmm. the passion can be lost in mm -hmm. the everyday mechanics Absolutely. of doing this, approving <laughs> this, approving <laughs> yeah. that. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm really, really mm -hmm. grateful for this time. And thank you so much also for the space that you and exec mm -hmm. create for divergent thinkers such as myself and mm. most team members mm -hmm. you, sometimes i feel like you leave us in the lab and you trust us with <laughs> dangerous chemicals i'm like oh, are you sure you want to do this and you give us space and room to do that yeah. and it is through your faith your mm. trust and the space that you give us to do the work that we're able mm. to thrive and mm. create the kind of impact that we hope to create for our candidate fellow uh, and for the organization at large so sabulela mm. kakul Thanks, Matabo. Um, it's been it's been fun. Okay, lovely. Betunani, as you know, the conversation continues on all of our social media networks. You just need to go to Google. And when you get there, type in Jake's Travel Fellowship and you will see a beautifully created website and everything that you need to know about us is on said website. You can partner with, with us in the great work that we do. We'd love to extend community that is centered around making sure, as Jeremy so beautifully put, that every child in this country goes home and to tell a story to a parent about a wonderful high-impact teacher. We can make this happen. Uh, so from me, Mata Wutadi, I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. <laughs>